This podcast episode, while not explicit, contains some gruesome details about violence that may be troubling for some listeners to hear. Listener discretion is advised. with a wide variety of creepy topics for all your true crime, paranormal, and otherwise spooky needs. I'm Thomas. I'm Sparky. And this time, I did not do it in Mario's voice. Yeah, I might put that at the end, though, just for fun. I saved it. You saved it. I saved it. So, just to be totally transparent, this is our second time recording this episode. The uh, computer was having some issues that has now been resolved. Being that we've already recorded this once, Thomas already knows the story, but I don't have another story ready, and I don't want to, like, not record an episode this week. To be truthfully honest, about halfway through it, I remembered the story from another podcast and knew almost every detail, except... No, you didn't. Except, like, the last parts of it. I knew about the actual crime itself. Well, I feel like this is one a lot of people have probably heard of, it, but again, like, the last one that I did, probably just don't know the details, you know? Cool. My sources. The three ones that I used the most were Felonious Florida podcast, Killer Clown of Wellington episodes. There's two of them. Palm Beach Post, which was written before they caught the killer of this case. But you wouldn't know it until like the very last line when they say, this is still unsolved. Because it really seems like they know who did it. And then CBS News 48 Hours. They interview a bunch of the people that live there and that are involved. Otherwise, CBS 12, Oxygen, WPTV, CBS 12, SWVA Today, WPBF, Inside Edition, and a different uh, CBS News. So. Cool. Mm-hmm. So, Marlene May McKinnon was born in 1950 in Michigan. She had strawberry blonde hair, blue eyes. She was a middle child. Her sisters, I believe, were named Debbie and Leanne. And when she was a kid, she really liked clowns. Who doesn't? Me. And she had, like, portraits that she painted of a couple that her mom has kept for a long time. I don't know if they were painted by numbers. They kind of looked like they were. If they weren't, she's, like, a super fabulous artist. So she met a man named John Aaron's at 15. Um, I don't know why he was at their house, but they met when he was trying to show off in their driveway. They lived on a farm. and So if she was 15, this would have been about 1965. Ish. So he was trying to show off, but it was icy and he crashed into a tree. That that always makes the best first impression. Yeah, you know, I really love it when uh, people crash into my property. I made a really good impression on my neighbor by running into their mailbox. That was a lot of years ago, though. Are you talking, like, neighbor back in Minnesota? The one whose mailbox I ran into. I don't run into a lot of mailboxes. I don't remember if it was there or somewhere else. You told me, like, in passing. It was so. slippery. Hey. Likely excuse. 
Um, so they got married, like, I don't know if they actually met when she was 15, but they got married when she was 15. Later, while she was 15, she gave birth to her first son, John Jr. That was a busy year. I guess so, yeah. And then when she was 18, she gave birth to Joseph, who goes by Joey. Happy young family. Until when she is 20, her husband John was killed in a car accident in Texas. Now, do we know why he was in Texas? I don't. One article that I read even said that she left her first husband. I was like, I'm mm, pretty sure that's not what happened, but I don't know. She was widowed. She was a single mom at 20 with two very young children. Can't imagine that was a lot of fun. No, doesn't sound too fun. So somehow, shortly after, she met Michael Warren, his tall drink of water at six foot one. Blue eyes. She married him when she was 22 and he was 19 in 1972. You're looking at me funny. Disco era. <laughs> they lived near Detroit and then they moved to Florida to be closer to Michael's family. To every words. single time, anybody that I've known that's moved because of the other part of the couple, it's been because of the man. It's never because of the woman. Okay, 90% of the time. They made their money by managing properties and flipping houses. Mostly, like, not really flipping, but, like, they'd buy them when the market was down. And then they'd wait till they gained a bunch of value and then sell them, which was actually really smart. But you'd have to have a lot of money to do that to start with. But also, you'd have to have a lot of patience. <laughs> Michael was also a used car salesman. And um, he ran a company called Bargain Motors. He also um, sold meat on the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you come in and you're like, hey, I would definitely like some meat. And they're like, it's a car dealership. And the owner comes running, oh, hey, hey, I got you. Lockers <laughs> in the back room. What do you want today? You want pork or beef? <laughs> you be careful because someone will come in and say, hey, I want some Mustang. And you'll be like, well, fine, I got a nice 95 out there. No. I want the type that have legs, not wheels. Wow. The stringy kind. Ew. Anyway, so they moved to a new fancy suburb of Palm Beach. It was called the Arrow Club, as an aeroplane. And you stop rubbing your foot on the I'm wall. It sounds get, like you're farting. I'm trying to get comfortable. In one day. No, no, I'm sorry. The appeal of this place was that there was an airplane hangar somewhere in the suburb, and they had their own like taxi service inside the suburb that would take you to your airplane. See, no, that doesn't sound very nice to me. I'm thinking of, there was this hotel I used to stay at. I would go to Lincoln, Nebraska every once in a while. I was raised in Nebraska. I've mentioned that before. Really? And if, you know, occasionally we'd stay at a nice hotel. But I always knew that if things were tight, we were going to stay at this one hotel. And the only reason it was so cheap was it was near the airport. So you got a little nice little uh, yeah. wind noise. Yeah, so... Yeah, that doesn't seem very appealing to me. All I can think of is you're trying to sleep and a plane is landing. Yeah. Or a plane flying over your house. Or Well, apparently they liked it because they did eventually save up enough money to buy a lot right next to the airstrip as if that was something you would want. Maybe they just wanted a short walk. Maybe they just wanted to relive the scene from Wayne's World. You know which one I'm talking about? Where they're laying on the hood of their car and they're waiting for the plane to take off, go right above them. 
I've only seen that movie all the way through like once. We need to rewatch it then. So, you know, it seemed like everything was fine and they were doing really well financially, but everything was in Marlene's name. So that makes it kind of stressful for her, I would imagine. And Michael got caught rolling back odometers. So, which is a bad thing. You shouldn't do that. Yeah, that, that was just sketchy. He was charged with odometer tampering, which is a third degree felony. He had to do 36 months of community service, and there was a second charge later that was dismissed with a plea deal. We'll talk more about his greatness in the auto community later. So Johnny Jr., at this point, they're all living, you know, in Florida. He was driving around. He's 22 years old. Failed to stop at a stop sign, and a 49-year-old woman ran into him. The woman was okay. She did have to go to the hospital, but eventually she was fine. But Johnny died at the scene of the crash. Rough. Yeah. So now Marlene has lost her first husband and her oldest child. And apparently Michael didn't really care. And he just kind of like wasn't home at all after that. He had a gambling problem and he would like bet on horses a lot. So I don't know if like this is when it started or he just used it as an excuse to be away more. I don't know. But shortly after that, Joey got in trouble. He and some friends decided it would be cool to go to some guy's house at 5 a.m. And one of his friends hit him with a nunchuck in the head. And the others all stabbed him. Can you imagine who decided what was going to do what? I get the nunchucks. I want the nunchucks. I want the nunchucks. (laughs) Come on, there's nothing. No, no. You see see that girl? I'm trying to impress her, man. Let me (laughs) have the nunchucks. You just bring random dates to, hey, we're going to go beat up this guy. You want to come watch? Chicks dig the guy with the nunchucks. (laughs) Just ask Michelangelo. He got all the chicks. Wow. This was revenge for something. But Joey was taken in for second degree attempted murder. And he was going to plead guilty to aggravated assault, obviously a lesser charge. But instead, the judge decided that he wasn't, like, in charge of it. It wasn't leading the other kids to do this, so he gave him a six months house arrest instead. Yeah. So, while they were at the courthouse this day, obviously Joey had an attorney there with him. Michael decided to ask the attorney what would happen to a wife's estate if her husband killed her. Okay, yeah, that's not sketchy. At all. No. You know that everything you have is in your wife's name, and you just casually ask a lawyer, hey, what happens if I kill my wife? (laughs) He didn't say that, thankfully. Like, oh, what happens if if Marlene dies because of me? Uh, The attorney says he remembers being bewildered. But, yeah. Duh. Looked around to see if Marlene was nearby, and she had walked off somewhere. So the attorney told him if someone else did it, The husband would get everything. And that Florida law was kind of funny like that. And he said one way to get away with murder would be to wear a disguise so no one would be able to identify the killer, even man or woman. A disguise such as a clown suit that was on Polonius, Florida. Now, honestly, that sounds kind of like sarcasm. Well, if you want to get away with it, wear a costume. Like a clown. Yeah, that'll go well. Which, honestly... I could see that being sarcastic, because let's face it, everybody notices a clown. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be disguised to go do something, you want to be, you want to blend in. Clowns don't blend in unless you're at the circus. 
The attorney thought that he was just curious. Because some people are, like, morbid, like me. And you want to ask, like, all those details. Like, ooh. Now, I, I probably would ask, not like that necessarily, but I would probably ask, like, a lawyer or a cop certain questions. But that's just because I like to write. Mm-hmm. And it's easier for me to go ask them <laughs> and explain to them, hey, I'm writing, than um, have to explain my Google search history when the FBI start investigating me because <laughs> I'm looking up, what happens when you kill your wife? Right. And then you're like, jokes on you, I'm not married. <laughs> so, the car lot there started a truck driver who was a repo person named Sheila King. And she was like a beautiful young lady. And she had long, straight brown hair, like pure 70s. She was slender, big brown eyes. She started working for Michael at Bargain Motors, and she kind of had a reputation for being, like, fearless, and she would drive big flatbed trucks, which I would never do, because I'm clumsy. And others on the car lot thought that she was kind of taking over, because she spent all of her time with Michael, and she was bossy, and she was really giggly around Michael. <laughs> That's how it sounded, just like that. See, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. You walk into a business, you find the boss, you suck up, okay? You sound like a schoolgirl. <laughs> exactly. That's how you do it. You grovel. And then while you're climbing the ranks, all your coworkers just see you, and every time you open your mouth, all they hear is, I'm a tool. A tool, 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 an incredibly annoying tool. <laughs> okay. They took long lunches together, which is not suspicious at all, and everyone just assumed there was an affair going on. So, plot twist here. She was married. Ooh. Her husband was named Richard Keene. They got married in 1987. Had the nickname Spud. The man must love potatoes. Maybe he's from Idaho. Maybe he was from Idaho. Also, people get really mad if you're in Idaho and you try to ask him about potatoes. It's kind of funny, actually. Although, what's funny is I stated that I don't really eat potatoes. And I got some funny looks, and I was told that I was in the wrong state, and I needed to change my views. I've seen the way you eat fries, that's a lie. I eat french fries, but I do not eat, like, mashed potatoes. I don't eat I baked potatoes. I on mashed potatoes. Okay, I'll take it back. If I can get a baked potato with chili, cheese, and sour cream, I'm all over that. Whatever. All right. So Spud was also a former KKK leader. They got married after he got out of jail for dealing charges, and she gave birth to a baby boy. And the one thing that brought them together was their love of money. Money's always a really solid foundation for a relationship. Yes, you never want to marry because you have in common. Mm-mm. You never want to marry because you're attracted to the other person, Mm-mm. whether it's physical or personality. Never, ever, ever. It's all about the Benjamins. Mm-hmm. And if they got nothing but Jacksons, You ditch them. Simple. So one person claimed shortly after they were married that Sheila was a clown entertainer at children's birthday parties. She said that that wasn't true. But sometime in 1990, I believe, Sheila went into an auto store and she was a regular there so they knew who she was. And she was dressed up in like full clown suit, clown makeup. And the owner was like, this is kind of weird. And she's like, oh, I do parties. Her husband didn't like that she was spending so much time at Bargain Motors because she was so chummy with Michael. 
So her husband didn't like that she was spending time with the car lot, and, you know, things are heating up between her and Michael. Michael apparently openly admitted that he didn't love his wife at this point. So he said to one of his co-workers, I'd rather see her dead than split anything with her. Because obviously murder is better than divorce. Always. Or something. So in 1990, Sheila split up with her husband. Apparently they didn't get divorced until 10 years later. Wait, so she split up when? 1990. And they got divorced actually in 2000. It's a long time. That is a long time. So, Marlene was afraid of Michael. She said that she worried he was going to kill her. So, I wonder, it never explicitly states anywhere if she knew that he was having an affair, but... Sounds like she might have. Yeah. She told one of her sisters and her mom, if something happens to me, he did it. Which is always good. She wanted to leave him, but because everything was in her name, she thought it was too complicated to leave. And I don't know, like we talked about in the first recording of this episode. It's kind of hard for me to understand, unless it is like a case of she's still going to have to pay for everything. That's kind of my thinking. So, everything was really nice and tense. We're going to pause here for a second. And now, a message from our sponsors. Quick recommendation from Sparky here. You should really check out the podcast, The Tantalus Tales. It's run by a very good friend of mine, Taylor. We met doing community theater. Pretty awesome. It's a great podcast. I wasn't honestly interested in D&D type stories before I listened. I listened because of my friend, and I immediately got hooked. Plus, there is a character named after moi, so you should probably go check it out. Listen to their promo now. Hello, my name is Taylor. I am the DM and lore master of the Tantalus Tales, a real play D&D podcast following the misadventures of three unlikely heroes across the universe. So, who wants to save the world? Am I getting paid for this? Uh, shut up, Bakar. Yes. Well, I'd say that if if the world is gone, we probably won't get paid. Can I give it to my god? I, I mean, ideally, no. Alright, so are we just going to solve this in our usual method, you guys? So, you guys try to sneak, and when you get caught, I kill them? More or less. Let's just drench the flagstones in blood like we normally do. Do we want to do help me? I'm okay with the quest that I'm currently on. I'm not here to save the world. The car, I swear to God, <laughs> any God, you're gonna get it. Join us for more misadventures on The Tantalus Tales, wherever you find podcasts. On May 26th of 1990, Michael was going to the horse track, whatever. He left before 9 a.m. to go there. So he must have just kind of walked out the door. Going to the races. Marlene was there with Joey and his girlfriend, Jean or Jeannie Pratt. Jeannie and Marlene were making breakfast together. So right before 11 a.m., there was a knock on the door. And they could see through the glass doors. Because it was like, you know, old-fashioned doors with big glass in the middle. That there was a clown. Lovely. And like Not I, weird. Like I said before, Marlene loved clowns. So she was really excited and... She was like, oh my gosh, look at that clown. And so she went to the door to answer it. 
the clown had an orange wig, uh, like one of those really high quality red clown noses, white face paint. I don't know if there's any other colors. They never said explicitly, so it could have just been all white, like ghostly and creepy. Wearing gloves. It was carrying mylar balloons in one hand, and they said, you're the greatest on them. And the other hand held a basket with red and white carnations in it. That's gross. I don't like that. Thomas was just showing me pictures of clowns with all white faces. Now I'm not a fan. So Marlene answered the door in her nightgown. And her son Joey, like I said, was there eating breakfast with Jeannie. And they heard her say something along the lines of how sweet or how pretty or how nice, something like that. Um, I've heard all three of them on different sources, so... Suddenly, Joey thought he heard a balloon pop, and he was confused, but then he saw his mom fall to the ground, and the clown had taken out a pistol and fired a bullet into her face through her two front teeth. Ow. I just think of how much it hurts when you hit your teeth on something. The gun that was used when the police examined the bullet later... They thought it was either from a thirty-eight or three fifty-seven caliber pistol. But, like you told me before, they're pretty different. But didn't you say one could fire the other type of bullet? If I can remember correctly, a three fifty-seven can fire a three fifty-seven as well as a thirty-eight. I a, don't know anything. A thirty-eight would have had a loud popping noise, and it probably would have... To me, it sounds like a thirty-eight is what did the damage, because... If something had gone all the way through, it would have caused more damage. She probably would have died on the scene. So I'm imagining it lodged in her vertebrae, correct? Mm-hmm. In the back of her neck. Yeah, it couldn't have been that powerful. At close range, a three fifty seven would have gone through. That's uh, just my thoughts. I'm not an expert by any means. I've never fired a three fifty seven, but I have fired a thirty eight stub nose. Just like from The Godfather. A hunting gun at a clay pigeon once when I was 12. You mean a shotgun? I have no idea. I also fire a lot of guns on GTA. Okay. Okay. Joey said he thought it was a man because of the big hands and the person's size. He guessed they were between 5, 8, and 6 foot tall, about 175 pounds. But as you know, clown costumes or suits are usually pretty baggy, not like super skin tight. So the clown walked down the sidewalk, got to the car they were driving, and just looked back at them. Not creepy at all. No. And not saying anything. When the clown looked back at the house, Joey swears that the clown's eyes were brown. Jeannie says they were blue. It's a pretty, the driveway goes pretty close to the house, you can see in pictures. But still, that's pretty far away. Yeah. You know, it's hard, unless you're like really up in someone's face, it's hard to tell what eye color they have. So, Joey could see that Marlene was bleeding, and he couldn't tell where the blood was coming from, and he was trying to talk to her to get her to tell him. That's hard. When it's like your mom, and or like your dad, you know, that's someone you look to for all the answers, and when they don't have them in a situation, especially like that. It's very possible she was in shock and really didn't know what even was going on. Yeah, and considering it was in the back of her throat, who knew if she didn't be able to talk, you know? Yeah. 
And he just was saying, telling her to spit it out and saying that he loved her. Very sad. So he did try to chase down the clown. The clown was driving a white Chrysler LeBaron with no license plates, but he lost track of the car, which unless you're like right behind a car as it's starting to drive away and they're driving full speed, you're really probably not going to catch them. No. Here's my thing. Why no license plates? Because then you couldn't tell the police, oh, this is... Yeah, 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 but a car with no license plates is more likely to get picked up by a cop than, say, a car that has phony tags. That's true. Or expired tags. I haven't thought about that. If a car is stolen, if it's something like they stole day of or whatnot, they wouldn't really even have to worry about it. We'll get into that. An ambulance came to take Marlene to the hospital, and like I, like we were talking about, the bullet was in the back of her neck between vertebrae, and she was in the hospital for two days, and they made the choice to take her off life support. Pretty obvious that she wasn't going to get any better. Um, so she was age 40 when she died. Her organs were donated to other people in need, and Joey and Jean stood at her side after they took her off life support. And I think it was Jeannie said that within like a minute, she was cold and she was totally gone. That's rough. Yeah. That's scary. That is scary. Kind of also shows you the power of medicine, too. So three hours after the shooting, going back to the day of the murder, the police got an anonymous tip from a female caller saying to look at the husband and Sheila Keen. So like we were saying earlier, Michael had been in a car with his friends on the way to the racetrack. So, he had an alibi. Yeah. And they must have called the racetrack or something. When he got the call, he he went right back to Wellington, where they lived. Well, yeah, I'm assuming he would have had to tell at least his wife, hey, I'm going to the racetrack. Mm -hmm. She probably mentioned it to Joey or Jeannie. Or maybe it was an every Saturday thing. Joey or Jeannie knew, hey, something's happened, you know, there's an emergency. We know where to get him. When he was questioned, asking who would do this, he said it was likely a revenge killing from an evicted tenant from their managed properties. But Marlene hated that part of the job, and I can only imagine she wasn't like super vicious with anyone. So I think if somebody was going to be killed for that, it probably would have been him and not her. You know what I mean? Yeah, sounds like it. Doesn't really make sense. Also, it seems like kind of like a, a guilt thing when you know of anyone that could have done this. Did she have any enemies? And the husband weaves a story that is like so out of character for the victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't disagree. So he was asked about the car since he owns like a car sale place. Michael said they only dealt with Chevys, but... That seems really strange because A... It's a used car dealership, mm-hmm. so they're probably going to have a little of everything. Even if they if they you know specialize in like American cars, they're still probably going to have that odd car. If they get a good deal on something, they're not going to pass it up if they can. Yeah, make a good profit. I mean, a lot of those places go to auctions. If there's a car that's being sold at a low enough price that they can make money off of it, they're going to do it. Yeah, and even dealerships will buy used cars sometimes that are not the same 
maker model. Anything they can flip. I can remember when I worked at a dealership, they bought it like, I want to think it was like a BMW. We were a Dodge Chrysler dealership. (laughs) I think it was a Beamer, and we also had some Volkswagens. They got the Chrysler at your dealership. (gasps) They came all the way to Idaho from Florida. And bought it at a dealership that wasn't even around at that time. Right. So, Sheila also said that she had an alibi. She was out looking for cars to repossess, but when she was asked what she was looking for or where she was looking for cars, she couldn't remember. Huh. So interesting. Suspicious. Uh Uh-huh. Hey, what were you doing on this night? I was watching TV. Hey, what were you watching? What's TV? (laughs) Um, sidebar. Jeannie said that there was absolutely no one she could think of that would want to do this to Marlene. Because she had no enemies. Marlene being, like, her her best friend, she would have known. You know, I mean, honestly, that's something. If you're if you're scared, you're going to talk, you're going to have someone she that can hide. She was her son's girlfriend. She was? I completely missed that. <laughs> hey. I was thinking that Jeannie was, like, her best friend. No. I was even thinking of that during the last recording. <laughs> now, Jeannie was Joey's girlfriend. Also, that weekend was, like, Memorial Day weekend, and the auto store owner that said that he saw Sheila in the clown suit saw the news and was like, and was like, mm, I should probably call the cops. It took him 11 days to do it, but, which, I mean, on one hand, I'm like, I kind of get it because you don't want to turn in somebody that's not guilty, but on the other hand... Time is kind of of the essence when it comes to finding people. Yeah. So, but it's, you know, kind of a panic reaction. I can't blame you too much. Yeah. So a couple months after the murder, Michael sold a bunch of their properties. He gave some of them to Joey. But Joey didn't have the means to pay the mortgage. So he ended up losing the properties. That seems like an empty gesture to me. Yeah. It's like, well, got everything. Here, I know you don't have a job, or if you do, it pays minimum wage, and I'm going to give you a property I know you can't pay, but it's going to look good. I could have sold it and given you the money, and you could have started your own thing, but no. Well, depending on when this was, he might still have been on house arrest. True. And it's not like today where you can work from home really easily. Yeah. You don't have the public access to the internet in 1990. Very little. That would have really sucked if he was still on house arrest and had to stay in the house that his mom was just shot in. Mm -hmm. According to the Palm Beach Post about the same time too, the direct quote, Investigator scrutiny of Michael Warren's car business led to his arrest five months after his wife's murder on charges of odometer tampering, grand theft, and racketeering. Warren's attorney accused prosecutors of railroading his client because they couldn't muster enough evidence for a homicide charge. Michael Warren was convicted in August 1992 on 43 felony counts and sentenced to nine years in prison, of which he served three. Love when that happens. Mm -hmm. Also, according to Felonious Florida, he might have got a bunch of probation at one point. No prison time for a different one. Can't stop that yawning, man. I'm sorry, I'm exhausted. I know, you were today. I'm gonna go to sleep right after this. So, Michael and Sheila got married in 2002, so at least they, you know, waited a little bit of a mourning period. Yeah. <laughs> but she didn't actually get her divorce until 2000, so it was only two years after that. No shade there. Live your life. I don't care. They moved to Tennessee first, and then they moved to Virginia. 
And Sheila either changed her name or just decided she was going to go by Debbie. She claimed it was a childhood nickname, but everybody that knew her said that wasn't true. So I don't know where she came up with Debbie. They started a restaurant together called The Purple Cow, which I just remembered. There was this Mexican restaurant that we used to go to when I was a kid called Mexican Village. And they had a drink, like a kid's drink, called The Purple Cow. I don't know, I think it was like Sprite and Grape Juice or something. That sounds weird. Yeah, I don't remember. Of course. It was like fluffy though. It was good. Truthfully, I think I used to mix, at McDonald's I would mix like Sprite and in high, in, uh, high C. Yeah. Have like an orange Sprite. So at the Purple Cow, they had a burger called Mike's Intimidator. And if you think of Panda, the to-go boxes that you get your meal in, that size, you know, mm-hmm. the square like... One of those styrofoam boxes. The burger literally filled an entire one of those up. And there was like four patties on it. Okay, let me just say this. I want one. Right? They don't own it anymore, so if you want to go there... Yeah, but it was founded by... Gross people. Their employees said they were very difficult to work for. Shocker. I know. And they were very mean... And there were rumors among the employees that Deb, quote-unquote, killed Mike's ex-wife. Huh. Well, where could that rumor come from? I'm actually curious where it came from, because how would they know if it's in a totally different state? I don't know. Now we're going to jump into some evidence that was found. So, in Palm Beach, or near Palm Beach, there's a Publix, which I've never been to one, but apparently it's pretty common in, like, the South. Yeah, they're pretty big. Our new meat manager at the grocery store I work at, he came here from Publix. Yeah, he, he lived in a Publix? Yeah. He's Didn't he live in Florida? Yeah, he's from Gainesville, Florida. And he has told me that every stereotype is true. <laughs> so I'm going to try to cut them all out, but if you hear meow, that's my cat. This Publix location was the only location that sold the Mylar balloons that the clown was holding. So they went there and asked and they said someone fitting Sheila's description bought the balloons at 9:22 that morning which is an hour and a half before the murder happened they said it was bought by someone with long brown hair so and this Publix was about a half mile from where Sheila lived suspicious mm-hmm. there was also a costume shop right off the highway near Palm Beach that said that Sheila had been in their shop two days before the murder happened and she'd been in a hurry they were closing, and she asked to be let in, and they're like, can you come back tomorrow? We're closed. And she said, no, I really need a costume tonight. So they let her in, which was really nice. So hopefully she was nice to them. She bought a clown suit. Okay. It was yellow and pink. It was the cheapest one they had in stock. I think it was like 32 $33, something like that. Yellow and pink. Uh-huh. She also bought extra white face paint, and she paid with $20 bills. So this is probably my favorite part of the story. I know I always call it a story, and I know that this is real people's lives. It's just easier for me to not sit and cry if I call it a story. So the rental car was traced back to an issue with Bargain Motors. The car had been stolen from a competitor weeks before, and there was a couple renting it. So in all this time that you've seen these cars and been like, I'd steal that car in GTA. (laughs) These people really did commit Grand Theft Auto. I probably say that every time I leave the house. It's still not currency today. Yeah, and usually they're crappy, slow cars. No, they're not. 
Yeah, just because a car looks like it's a fast car doesn't mean it is a fast car. It's a fast GTA, it doesn't matter. So they were renting it, and they didn't have the phone number to figure out where to return it. So they looked in the phone book, those big phone book ads, you know, I mean, I'm sure they still are a thing, but nobody looks at phone books anymore. They're just going to the interwebs. Yeah, I was just going to say, are phone books even a thing anymore? Because I remember, like, once a year, every two years or something. I got one here last year. I can remember going to the phone company and getting, like, a big, thick one. (laughs) Every once in a while, they just randomly show up on your doorstep. The rental place that they rented the car from was called Payless something rental, car rental. And Bargain Motors had an ad that said... Wait, so they went to the Payless car source right next to the shoe source? Wow. So Bargain Motors, their ad said, Bargain Motors, Payless. And the Payless was bigger than the thing that said Bargain Motors. So obviously it's pretty easy to confuse the two. Um, so they called Bargain Motors. Bargain Motors was like, oh, yeah, like, uh, just, just leave the car outside, put the keys up in the visor, and we'll take care of it from there. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. So they did. They left the car there with the keys and the visor. But then they had, like, weird feelings about it later, so they came back to, like, move the car and make sure they spoke to somebody in person. And the car was gone. Suspicious. Suspicious. Very Suspicious. So I think there was like a um, lawsuit after that. Payless, I think, <laughs> yeah, the, the shoe source that's now bankrupt sued Bargain Motors for the loss of their car. Yeah, see, I can really understand why a uh, shoe company would want to be a car company. <laughs> I think they got like $12,000 out of it or something. And I found out how they got the car back. It was found in an abandoned lot. After the murder. That'd be about 23000 today. Twenty-four. Enough for like a new Mustang. Right. Give or take the meat or the car. I'll just say the meat. Okay, great. Horses are ridiculously expensive. Oh, I know. Purebreds, especially. I've wanted to buy a couple of my days. So, in 2016 was when the clowns, the killer clowns, started being a big thing and everybody's freaked out. So that kind of brought the case to public's attention again. In 2013-2014, they started using the DNA they found in the car. They used the DNA they found in the car because they found brown hairs and orange wig hairs in the car, which is, again, not suspicious at all. They started using DNA to work on that, and they cross-referenced some DNA they had from Sheila that was like blood or hair. In 2017, the police set up a roadblock, and they made it to look like it was a regular traffic stop. And they pulled over Mike and Debbie. Mike was driving. And the officer went to the passenger side next to see Debbie's license. And she gave it to him, and it said Sheila Keen Warren on it. So I don't think she actually changed her name. I think she just decided she was going to go by Debbie. When the officer saw her license, gave it back to her. I don't know if he gave it back to her, actually. I don't know how that works. But he opened her door and said, we have a warrant for your arrest. And she didn't seem sad or surprised. Oh, I I think he probably gave it back. He's like, here's your license, man. By the way, get out. You're under arrest. Right. So she was taken in for first-degree murder premeditated. And in jail, she was writing letters to everybody that she knew, talking about how innocent she was. 
And, of course, there's nothing, like, really bad in them, because why would you write incriminating evidence in letters? But they were released like they were a big deal. She also found God while she was in prison, and she was baptized Catholic. Cool. Mm-hmm. And she likes to read romance novels and true crime. Smut and people that failed to get away with murder. You could like her. Allegedly. Allegedly. She was originally sentenced. I don't know what the whole trial process was here. But she was going to get the death penalty. But a jury, I guess a judge overturned it. And they're going to give her a trial to like figure out what her sentence should be otherwise. It was supposed to be in June, but COVID isn't safe for jury trials. So it's been rescheduled to April of 2021. And so hopefully I will have an update then I can let you all know what happens. She's still in jail in the Palm Beach County Jail with no bond or bail. She pleaded or pled not guilty. Of course. Mike Warren's still in Virginia. He's still a person of interest, but they don't have any evidence specifically to tie him to the murder. He lost touch with his stepson, Joey. About that, he said, I never knew how to get a hold of him. Which is a great excuse. And Joey was pretty much devastated by this whole thing because he'd lost his dad, he lost his brother, he lost his mom, and he's stuck in a state where he has no other family except his stepdad, who pretty much abandoned him. Lovely. So Marlene's mom, she still has the clown portraits that Marlene painted as a child. And she has, like, an entire clown room in her house. She lives in Vegas now. Vegas! And she likes to look at them and be reminded of Marlene. And she says, I don't hate clowns. I just hate one. That's a great way of thinking. Yeah. That's the story of Marlene Warren. And it's very sad. We will update you after the trial about what happened if you don't hear about it on your own. We're going to wrap this up because I still need to edit it. It's 8.30. I have until 1 a.m. Yay. We're looking for listener tales. So please send in your real stories that happened to you. Got some friends saying they want to send in fiction ones. And as much as I appreciate that, it's not really what we're looking for. Please send in stories that have like actually happened to you. Like we got a really great ghost story. I've got a story I'm probably going to share about a super creeper. Anything like that. Paranormal, true crime. You saw a UFO. You saw Bigfoot. Oh, Thomas. yeah, you saw Bigfoot. Send those in to us at creepylifepodcast at gmail.com. We are on, well, we are literally everywhere you listen to podcasts. We are on Instagram. We have a page and a group on Facebook. Please oh like the page, join the group, talk with us. Twitter. The Twitters. You can find Sparky at Creepy Life Pod. Uh huh. And you can find me at Buff Elvis, B-U-F-F-E-L-V-I-S. Because you're so buff and you look like Elvis. Hey, it's an inside joke. I'm actually a fat guy that doesn't look like Elvis. You do kind of look like Elvis, though. We're going to call it quits for tonight, so thank you all for listening. Thank you all for listening, but I would like to leave you with one piece of trivia that doesn't pertain to anything. That scene in Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade where they're sitting on the Zeppelin and you only see them from the waist up, Sean Connery and Harrison Ford were not wearing pants in that scene. You all needed to know that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. My life is now complete. That's great. Thank you for listening, yes, everyone. thanks for listening. Stay creepy. And wear pants. Or don't. We're not here to be your mom. Mm-hmm.
Welcome to a Creepy Life Podcast. No, what? No.